0: Hello, thank you for joining us for Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program. These
1: people were claiming to have ideas that completely contradicted what the Apostle Paul taught, what all the other Apostles taught, and they claimed to have this by presumably some kind of revelation from God. Our
0: social world is geared towards extroverts. If you're an extrovert, you probably won't even notice that. But if you're an introvert, you'll know how challenging that can be. of so people or not. There is something wonderful about being known and from there being loved. Dr. Corbett is engaged in a series of messages exploring the Apostle Paul's letter to the Corinthian church as recorded in the New Testament of the Bible as we'll discover a person who is known by God, loves God and is enabled to love others. Tonight Dr. Corbett continues his look at Corinthians, his topic of focus, knowing how to love. Let's join in Let's now. pray
1: as we come before God's word and have a look at what Paul had to say to the Corinthians when he was dealing with one of the issues that really became a touchstone issue about, firstly, his authority, how they understood how they would treat each other, and really what it meant to be a loving follower of Christ. So let's pray. Father, help us now as we open your word to see the things that you put into your word that are for our good, our benefit, our growth. Father, I pray that you would speak to us now through your word. And for all those listening to me now by radio, over the internet, by YouTube, however it is, that Father, even later on as they listen to this, you would speak to them as well. We want to hear your voice, Lord. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. We've mentioned that Paul's epistles to the Corinthians, that we have two of them, and there's quite possibly at least four, maybe five, some scholars suggest, were written at a time when the Corinthian church, the Corinthians, were incredibly spiritual. They had lots of spiritual activity going on. Uh, in and around them in 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 Corinth, and they had a fascination with angels, they had a fascination with demons, they were super sensitive to the spiritual realm, and because of that very fascination with the spiritual realm, the issues that Paul deals with in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, which is where we're going to be having a look now, had become a really touchstone issue. So this is Paul's and expo- we're doing an exposition through Paul's epistles to the Corinthians. And I've entitled this, Knowing How to Love. And later on, of course, Paul the Apostle will actually unpack love itself. But knowing how to love. And I've used that word knowing and I've used the word love because the false teachers in, in the church that had crept in after Paul the Apostle had left They were claiming to have special knowledge that the Apostle Paul didn't have. And as a result of this claim, they were upsetting the church, they were causing confusion, and they were undermining Paul's apostolic authority and his leadership. So this is knowing how to love. And as we look now, we're going to have a look in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1 and down to verse 3. So we're just going to take the first three verses to make the point there is a knowledge that is false knowledge. It pretends to present something that perhaps most people don't know. And if you will submit yourself to the, the teaching of these false teachers, you'll come to know this knowledge and so on. Anyway, let's have a look at this. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So what Paul is going to be talking about is the issue of eating food that had formerly been used in pagan worship. Now this problem, the problem of should we eat it or should we not eat it? it became an emblem it became emblematic of the differences between paul's apostolic teaching and the teaching of the false teachers paul contrasts in just in these first three verses we're going to see this he's using the word knowledge no these words because the false teachers were claiming to have knowledge and here he he's really being sarcastic you know we all possess knowledge when in fact these people were, were claiming to have ideas that completely contradicted what the Apostle Paul taught, what all the other Apostles taught, and they claimed to have this by presumably some kind of revelation from God. Paul, interestingly, is, is going to make the point that there is a knowledge that is good, and these people don't have it. Now Paul says this knowledge puffs up, and we'll see that this is going to make a point that arrogance actually comes from false knowledge. And Paul is going to make the point that the kind of knowledge that you should have will result in love. Love for others, consideration for others, and, and so on. This is why he says, but love builds up. So we have a look at the next verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 2. If anyone imagines that he knows something he does not yet know as he ought to know. Just notice that. He says, if anyone imagines that he knows something. In other words, Paul is really distinguishing true knowledge, which is based on the revelation of God's word with false or self-imagined knowledge. So some people can make stuff up. They can actually imagine that what they think might be the way the world works. They think what they believe about God is what God is really like. But if you're just imagining it, it's just in your imagination. It can be false. This is why it's really important to understand that not all ideas are equal. Not all opinions are equal. All people are equal. But there are some ideas that are just wrong. They originate from the person's imagination. And that, does not make an idea right and we've seen that there are certain ways to verify the truth and Paul in his epistle first epistle to the Corinthians he's actually going to draw down on these well-known principles for explaining why we have full confidence that Jesus Christ was the eternal son of God and that he physically rose from the dead and Paul gives all the reasons that you need to have in order to trust that that is true. So these false teachers, Paul is refuting. He's refuting their knowledge. Their knowledge is really self-deception. And as we see in the last part of verse 1, it's that kind of knowledge that leads to arrogance. Because Paul says that knowledge puffs up, which is filling someone with pride and arrogance. Verse 3... But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Now let's flip that around because this is going to be such an important point. The kind of knowledge that Paul says every person should have is not immediately the knowledge of knowing God, but the knowledge of being known by God. This is what distinguishes Christianity from every other religion. Other religions are about ideas that you just have to accept. But Christianity is an experience of being known by God. There is supernatural confirmation in every soul that turns to Christ, turns to God, that they are known and loved by God. And if you get that, it changes everything. So for Paul, there's a contrast between the imaginary knowledge of these false teachers with the knowledge that all people should strive for, and that is being known by God. You know, we think in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus told the story of people who will come to God on the day of judgment and say, Lord, we cast out demons in your name, we healed the sick, we prophesied in your name. And Jesus says this, Rather confusing statement. Well, it appears confusing when he says, And the king, God will say to them, Depart from me, for I never knew you. And this raises the question How could the all knowing God possibly declare to someone, I never knew you? And that's because we're dealing with a different kind of knowledge. And this is really at the heart of what Paul is saying here. The kind of knowledge that you really want to have is the knowledge that God knows you. And that means that you are yielded to him. You are living transparently before him. You are prepared to obey him. This is being known by God. And there's something that happens when you know that you're known by God. So what do we see from these three verses in Uh, chapter eight of first corinthians this is actually at the heart of what it means to live as a christian not just to become a christian but to live as a christian because a christian is not a matter of head knowledge alone there's head knowledge there's things you've got to know there's background to scripture which i've tried to give you as we've looked through first corinthians that there's certain things that also relate to us today but that's not all. There's also the invitation to come to know God in a way that you yield yourself to him so that he knows you. He knows you. So clearly, this word know is meaning something of an intimate relationship. So what should we learn from these first three verses in chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians? Well, what we should learn is that Paul's concept of knowledge is what we might refer to as true knowledge. See, you could know all the facts about the Bible. You could know all the facts about God. You could know all the facts about the spiritual realm and still not know God. And one of those things will mean that you will miss out on spending eternity with him. You will not have entered in a relationship with God that will carry over beyond the grave. And surely, of all the things you can strive for in life, that's the most important thing, to be known by God, to come to know God. Jesus said, What does it profit a man if he gains everything, the whole world, yet... He loses his soul. What does it profit him? So there's a kind of knowledge that's super, super necessary. And it's one—it's the knowledge that we should all strive for. So let's have a look at this. Paul's concept of true knowledge at its heart involves being known by God. Does God know you? Is your heart open to him? Or have you slammed the shutters closed? Is the door of your heart open to Christ to come in if he knocks at your door? At the door of your heart. He said this in Revelation chapter 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would open to me, I would come in and I would dine with him. Enjoy a meal. And the whole idea of enjoying a meal together spoke of intimacy. So here we have The Corinthians having asked Paul, is it right to eat (laughs) this meat that's been butchered by a pagan priest, offered up in worship to pagan gods, and now it's being sold in the marketplace. Should we buy that meat? Well, for Paul, the idea is here, firstly, Make sure that you're doing it with the right heart. Make sure whatever you do, if you don't eat, do it with the right heart. If you do eat, do it with the right heart. What's the right heart? It's to make sure that you've got the kind of knowledge that says, I know God and he knows me. So what leads to this true knowledge? What leads to it? A recognition that we cannot, in our own efforts, make ourselves right with God we can't do it many people have tried i recently heard someone talk about trying to find another way to have peace with god and to come to know god apart from christianity he did not want to accept what jesus had to say at all and he spent years and years looking for another way to be made right with god but he couldn't find one and the reason is there is only one i spoke in a church around launceston once where there was someone from the local university who was uh, obviously an academic they were on the teaching staff there and after i had shared my my message in that church about god what he had done who he was and the offer that he extended to every person they came up to me and said that was That was quite interesting what you had to say about the Bible, about God, about the spiritual realm, about what Jesus has done. Uh, um, The only thing is, it sounded like, and correct me if I'm wrong, they said, it sounded like you were saying that Jesus Christ was the only way someone could come to know God and be forgiven by God. And of course, the implication of what they were now asking was you're not suggesting, surely, that Christianity is the only true religion and uh, i actually said well actually i am and if that's what it sounded like i'm glad that it did sound that way because that was what jesus himself said recently if you were fortunate enough to witness or hear the memorial service for queen elizabeth ii or the funeral service for queen elizabeth ii she had requested that certain scriptures be used during that ceremony One of them was the reading of 1 Corinthians 15, which the Secretary-General of the Commonwealth read, and it was profound. And 1 Corinthians 15 describes the heart of the truthfulness of Christianity, that Jesus Christ died for our sins, and three days later he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that all those who turn to him will experience forgiveness of their sins. The other passage was John chapter 14, which the Prime Minister of England at that that time, Liz Truss, also read out from John 14, where it says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions, the old King James says, many mansions where I go now to prepare a place for you, Jesus says, recorded in John 14, And then he says this, I am the way, I am the truth, and no one comes to the Father but by me. That's an incredibly bold claim that Jesus himself said. It's not religion that'll make you right with God. It's not philosophy that'll make you right with God. It's not the ideas of great thinkers applied to your life that will make you right with God. It's Jesus Christ and him only. And Jesus said that he was the way, the truth and the life. And no one can come to the father any other way. Any other way. C.S. Lewis put it this way. You might claim that you think Jesus Christ was a great moral teacher, but, but reject <laughs> what he taught. You can't claim he was a great moral teacher and reject what he taught if he was a great moral teacher. And he said he was the only way to find peace with God. He was the only way to find your sins forgiven. He was the only way. And so when we understand the kind of knowledge that Paul is saying is absolutely necessary, it's the kind of knowledge that leads us to accept that we are guilty sinners we wallow in shame because of what we've done sometimes we try and hide it sometimes we try and numb it we use all kinds of things a needle a bottle a pill whatever it takes to numb the pain of our guilt and shame but God offers to forgive us of our sins through having his son die on a cross and taking the guilt and shame and judgment that we deserve into eternity to be eternally dealt with and then rising from the dead so that we too would live beyond the grave if we accept his forgiveness and accept the offer of the father as he offers to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from our sins and to remove our guilt and remove our shame. And that's the kind of knowledge that the Apostle Paul says we should have. And that kind of knowledge is a knowledge of being known by God. Being known by God. You can you can know someone in a way that you just all you do is you just know something about them. But that's not the kind of knowledge that Paul is talking about when he says being known by God, being known by God. And that's verse three. But if anyone loves God, he says he is known by God to really know someone is to know what they think, what they feel, what they like, what they need, what they want and to be known by God means that we come to understand what he says is right what he wants in other words his will for our life so this is the kind of knowledge that the apostle paul is saying every person should strive for there's lots of things in this life that i don't know there's lots of things about the bible which is a book i'm i'm, de- I'm really desperately trying to understand more deeply and more intimately especially as a preacher i want to make sure that i know what i'm talking about but the greater knowledge still is to know god himself you've heard me say this many times that my posthumous mentor posthumous meaning that he has long been dead is fw borum my posthumous mentor he's taught me so much about pastoring and preaching and how to live the christian life and how to get along with other people who perhaps i may not agree with about everything and fw bore toward the end of his life having been in 1924 acknowledged as one of the most influential preachers in the world arguably his books sold in excess of 20 million copies around the world and yet he got to the end of his life and he said i have a regret my regret is that i i told people i told people what god had done i told people what we can see god's attributes were his qualities his special essential prerogatives <laughs> but oh i'm not sure that i i'm not sure that i told people about god himself and toward the end of his life and he died at the age of uh, around about 86 he he said i wish i could have told people about who god himself was because if i only tell people who god was i'm sure they would come to see him as magnificently beautiful magnificently good And sometimes I just wonder if the questions that people have that stop them from surrendering their lives to him are because they don't really know who he is. Therefore, they misunderstand the way he's made the world, his will for their lives, what knowing him really involves. But if I could have just explained to people and shown people how magnificent and how glorious and how beautiful and how wonderful he is, I'm sure there would have been more people who came to know him. That was F.W. Borum, Dr. F.W. Borum's greatest regret. And I've got to say, as a young preacher reading that, I thought, oh God, I've still got my life presumably ahead of me. <laughs> I hope, I really hope that I can make God known in a way that people desire to know him. That's the true knowledge that's the true knowledge that we should all have. And so Paul's true knowledge involves an intimate relationship. And that intimate relationship, really, based on just these first three verses in 1 Corinthians 8, does this. It reveals who we really are. It reveals by the claim. If we claim, yes, I know God and I'm known by God. It's demonstrated by how we treat people. And how we treat people whether we're patient with them whether we're kind to them whether we are able to easily forgive them that reveals who we really are what God has really done in our lives it also reveals how we treat people reveals how we understand God what our concept of God is and i think this is a great benchmark a great test you know, there are people that feel it's their, their, their right, their, their role to punish people who don't obey God and to be, to be almost vindictive and, and to, to take any measure of violence against people who they feel are not complying with their concept of God. But we don't see that as the concept of God in Scripture we see in the Bible that Jesus one day was confronted by a group of religious leaders who had brought a woman caught in the act of adultery and threw her down in the dirt in, the, in that first century uh, town where Jesus was. And they asked him, The law says if anyone is caught in the act of adultery, they should be put to death. But what do you say? And they asked Jesus that because he seemed to be too ready to forgive, too ready to extend grace, too ready to show mercy. But now Jesus was trapped because the law, as they correctly pointed out, said anyone caught in the act of adultery should be put to death. But Jesus, it says, knelt down and wrote something in the dirt. We don't know what he wrote, but we do know this. It's, the text goes on to say in John chapter eight that from the oldest down to the youngest, in that order, I' think about that for a moment, they left. They dropped their rocks because they were ready to stone her, which is what the law required. And not with pebbles, but with rocks. And as Jesus wrote something in the dirt, from the oldest down to the youngest, they dropped their rocks and left and we have this amazing scene firstly i wonder As a side thought what did jesus write what did he write that caused the oldest person first to leave and then in order of their age down to the youngest to then leave perhaps as some have speculated he wrote their name and beside their name he wrote their sin that deserved death hmm Maybe, I don't know. But then he turned, when they had all left, he turned to the woman. And he said to the woman, where are your accusers? And she said, they're gone. And neither do I condemn you, Jesus said. But then he said this really important thing that reflected his intimate knowledge of God. And really, his invitation to her to intimately know God. He said, go and sin no more you see when you have a concept of God when you really know God you know that sin is not just a matter of breaking his law and by the way the law that they were the religious crowd were citing also involved that the first one to cast a stone had to be a witness they had to be the chief accuser of the guilty person because they personally had witnessed what had done, what had been done. And that's why Jesus, you know, he actually upheld the law because he wasn't a witness to what this woman had done. He wasn't there. He wasn't her accuser. That's just a by the way. But the fact that Jesus could extend love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness to this woman is very, very telling. And it reveals that he intimately knew god so our attitudes about the things held dear by others reveals how much we really care about them so there are things that people hold dear Mm. there are things that may upset us as followers of christ but because these people hold them dear and we don't think they should they could be lucky charms they could be paintings that they pray to or statues that they pray to or whatever and we need to tread carefully we need to tread carefully we can if asked we can share how we feel about them but sometimes people do not consider the feelings and thoughts and opinions of of others now please don't misunderstand me i'm not saying that god tolerates idolatry or that he tolerates the concept that any man-made religion is equal to his offer of forgiveness and redemption because it clearly is not. But we just need to be careful as we seek to engage people who hold these, what we might consider to be false concepts about life and death and God. We just need to be careful. And my reasoning there is based on what Paul says in this verse where he talks about now concerning food offered to idols. We know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And the kind of love is not acceptance. The kind of love is an attitude that says, this battle is not worth fighting because there's a bigger battle that needs to be fought. And that is whether that person has surrendered their life to Christ. So let's just be aware of that. Here's why... If, if we will show respect to what people believe and hold to, th- this will determine whether they are prepared to listen to us. The great missionaries, William Carey and Hudson Taylor, they, they knew all about this and they were very, very effective. The same with Dr. David Livingston, very, very effective in their missionary endeavors because they respected these things. They didn't compromise Jesus Christ was the only way to peace with God, but they knew how to get a hearing. If we can be respectful, we will be respected. Our opinions will be respected by those who perhaps hold false ideas. And even more importantly, if we can't show respect for where other people are at and who they are, we're very, so less likely to have them regard as sacred what we hold as dear. So let's just be mindful of that. And these are some of the things that Paul talks about just in these first three verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And the third thing we see is this, that the basis for arrogance is false knowledge. So when Paul talks about knowledge puffs up, he's not talking about a knowledge of the truth or the ultimate source of truth, which is God himself. He's talking about this, as he calls it imaginary knowledge this false knowledge it's just not true and the basis for arrogance is believing in something false so that expression we all possess knowledge this knowledge he says puffs up but love builds up and love involves respecting others and and being considerate of others and the fourth thing that we see is that knowing god Is more important than merely knowing theoretical facts, and especially if those theoretical facts are unproven and untrue. In John chapter 17 and verse 3, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is just about to be taken away to be crucified. And he goes up the mountaintop garden on uh, the Mount of Olives to pray. And this is what John hears him pray this is recorded in john chapter 17 verse 3 john records jesus praying this and this is eternal life that they know you the only true god and jesus christ whom you have sent here's jesus praying that really that the kind of knowledge is is to know god the kind of knowledge that will get you peace with god that will get you forgiveness of sins that will get you reconciled to the god that we have offended and been ostracized because of our arrogance our pride and our guilt and sin all of that can be transformed if we will seek to know god that follows from being known by god so we can see that the person who is known by God, how can you tell if someone is known by God? Well, the person who is known by God will love God. The person who's known by God will love God. He loves God. She loves God. If they are known by God, they'll love God. And this in turn enables them to, to love others we read about this in Romans chapter 5 where we can be filled with love for God and that love for God overflows and is represented by love for others this is what it means to grow as a Christian just a couple of thoughts just to finish up here just to consider this that the person who is known by God knows that they do not have to win every argument with other people. Let me repeat that because this is so important. The person who is known by God knows that they do not have to win every argument with others in order to win them to Christ. You see... Food offered to idols was the issue that Paul's talking about in just in these first three verses of 1 Corinthians 8. Instead of talking about the particulars of it in these first three verses, he lays a foundation. And in our next session, we'll talk about how some people had idolized food. But here Paul is saying, don't make this the issue. This is not the issue. <laughs> the issue is whether you know God. It's whether you are known by God. And if you are, then you'll love others. So with this in mind, I want to pray for us. And I really do hope that I have stirred you to ask the question in your own soul. Do I know God? Am I known by God? Am I letting him into my life? Am I opening my heart to him? Have I surrendered my heart to him? Does my heart have an open door to god to come into my life and rearrange the furniture (laughs) to take over to give it a good sweep out to clean it up is my door of my heart open to god let's pray father for those who've joined with me now in understanding your word as we've looked at it in first corinthians chapter 8 the first three verses i pray lord that you would open their eyes. And Father, for all those who have yet to turn to you, who have yet to ask you to come into their life, forgive them of their sin, take away their guilt, take away their shame and put it onto Christ. Lord, I pray that in this moment, they would pray a prayer that says, God, please forgive me. Come into my life and help me to live for you, I pray. Amen. And amen means let it be. You pray a prayer like that, I guarantee you, your life from this moment will begin to be transformed and you'll become a child of God. If you need help in doing that, please contact us. Uh, you'll hear some information from Karen at the end of this and she'll explain how you can connect with us. So I pray that God would be known by you, but more importantly, that you would be known by If you'd like
0: to listen again or you've missed a program, you'll find an archive of all previous episodes on our website, findingtruthmatters.org. For tonight's program, select Corinthians Part 10 from our online store. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. As we've heard tonight, how we treat people reveals who we really are, our concept of God and what we believe. The person who is known by God loves God and is then enabled to love others. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.